G'day, Troy Dean from WP Elevation, and welcome to episode 42 of the WP Elevation podcast. This week, our feature guest is Natalie Matlees from Purple Pen Productions and also lead organiser of WordCamp Los Angeles. And Natalie has a fantastic uh, strategy, if you like, for overcoming writer's block, which I know uh, affects all of us. All of us should be blogging more, we should be producing more content to position ourselves as authorities, and a lot of us have trouble producing that content on a regular basis. So in this episode, Natalie is going to help us overcome writer's block, and we have two books to give away. We have Natalie's uh, second edition of her book, jQuery for Designers, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, she's giving away that, and I'm giving away a copy of The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which also is a fantastic book. If you want to ship more and you want to publish more and produce more content, The Artist's Way is a fantastic journey uh, and a, a great uh, tool uh, for getting you over writer's block and helping you get in touch with what you're all about and what your message is and how to publish that. So stick around for details on how to enter the competition a little bit later on in the interview. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is brought to you by Video User Manuals, the very first, the original, and the best way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. The plugin installs over 60 video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard, teaching them everything they need to know to learn how to use WordPress to manage their content, and how to use WooCommerce, and how to use SEO by Yoast. And of course, you can show or hide individual videos based on how your client's website is set up. To learn more, visit wpelevation.com slash vum, wpelevation.com slash vum, where you can see a video of the plugin in action and learn how this video can help you in your sales process to help you win more clients. All right, the elevation tip of the week this week is just do it. Uh, that's not a Nike commercial. That is my way of saying if you are stuck in your business and you are not clear about who your target audience is and therefore you're not clear about what kind of content to produce to attract them to your website and convert them into clients, my elevation tip this week is just do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, ma it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't need to understand exactly who your target audience is. Just start the ball rolling. As Bill Ballou said, just hit the publish button. Just get out of the gate. Get off you're behind and just hit the publish button and start producing some content, you'll very quickly work out what people are responding to and what they're not responding to. In this interview, Natalie's gonna give us some great tips and tools to help us get unstuck from our writer's block, but I'm really urging you all, just do it. Put pen to paper, get on the keyboard, start blogging, start producing more video tutorials or podcasts or whatever it is. Start producing more information that people can then discover and find you as a result of discovering that information. So, Natalie McLees, Natalie McLees, not McLees, Natalie McLees from Purple Pen Productions is also the lead organizer of WordCamp in Los Angeles. I met her last year at Pressnomics and we hung out a bit and I said I'd get her on the podcast and here she is. She was recommended by Jennifer Bourne from Bourne Creative. So I'm glad that I've closed that loop. Jennifer, if you're watching, this is all because of you. Uh, Natalie has written a book called jQuery for Designers. The second edition is coming out in a couple of weeks, published by Pact Publishing. And we talk a little bit about uh, that relationship with a publisher and whether or not she'd do that again or whether or not she'd self-publish, and that's an interesting uh, conversation. And we also talk about some of the tools that Natalie uses to keep her clients and her projects on track. 
Uh, there's a lot to learn in this interview, so uh, stay with us. Uh, without further ado, let's go and meet Natalie Matlees. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from Los Angeles, Natalie Matlees from Purple Pen Productions. Hey, Natalie, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Can I say Purple Pen Productions really quick three times? <laughs> yes, go ahead. <laughs> purple Pen Productions, Purple Pen Productions, Purple Pen Productions. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I love an alliteration. It's great. I know. <laughs> I, used to, I used to run an event called Freelancer Friday just because it was fun to say, yeah? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, just before we get into this interview, Natalie has a second edition of her jQuery for Designers book coming out very shortly, which she has kindly uh, offered to sponsor as a prize for this week's competition. And I'm also going to give away a copy of The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and you'll know why if you listen to the interview. So stick around for details on how to enter the draw to win those prizes a little bit later on. Okay, Natalie, before we talk about all things WordPress-ish and geek girl-ish and WordCamp-ish and jQuery-ish, tell me, when you were a kid, <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I always wanted to have my own business of some kind, uh, an ice cream shop. Uh, I did run a custom t-shirt shop for a while in junior high school. Cool. Um, so there were a bunch of different ideas, and nobody in my family ever owned their own business, so I didn't really have any role models um, to kind of show me the way. So it took me a while, but I got there. <laughs> so that would have made you very popular, I imagine, having a custom T-shirt shop in high school. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And what, so like, were you like doing the screen printing yourself? And Oh, it was crazy. I was partnered up with a friend of mine, and she would actually sew the T-shirts and sweatshirts from fabric. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And then we would print them, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That is what well, you didn't think you're like, just like buying cheap t-shirts in bulk and then printing them and marking them up. Oh, I thought it made them special that we made them by hand. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. There is some serious scalability issues. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So when did you discover the internet and when did you, when did you discover the web and think, wow, I'm going to play on the web and I'm going to build a business online? Uh, it was when I was in college. Uh, so when I started college, I had never heard of the internet, and by the time I was done, I was actually building websites kind of on the side. So cool. I majored in environmental studies, so it's nothing to do with the web. Right, nothing to do with the web. <laughs> so how, how did that happen? How did you first decide to start building websites? Was like, were you building one for yourself, or were friends asking you? The first one I built was for myself. So I got my first computer, I think my junior year of college, and got online and saw something for like build your own website. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And I went and did it and then just started making them for friends and then made one for the business that I worked at part-time my senior year. So it kind of all started from there. And was there something like, you know, was there something about the technical side of it that, or the problem solving, like what appeal, what is it that appealed to you about it? Why did you keep going? Because, you know, a lot of people, when they start doing technical things, they hit a wall pretty quickly because, you know, it's hard to figure this stuff out and they just abandon mission. What, what was it that made you keep going to work this stuff out? It's like solving a puzzle and I love puzzles. Ah. So I always thought it was really fun. And also I think in the early days of the web, I think this is less true now maybe, but you could always view source and figure out how they did something. <laughs> So I would just see something that looked cool. I'd be source and copy and paste it into, um, I had front page express. Ooh, <laughs> nasty. And figure out how it worked and figure out how I could change it. And I just, it was, I've always been really attracted to that aspect of it. And I think 
um, writing JavaScript and CSS especially is always like that solving a puzzle and figuring out how you're going to make something work. Yeah, it's so, you know, it's it's just, it's so common. I've heard this, I mean, it's, that's exactly how I started. I've heard this so many times, like see something cool, view source, copy and paste it, make it work in your own browser. It's like, woohoo. <laughs> so when, when did you, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Um, around version two, uh, 2006-ish, maybe. Mm -hmm. I was at the second WordCamp San Francisco. Oh. Not the first one, but okay. so... I've been involved with WordPress for a while. And what was it that brought to you, brought you? What was it that brought you to WordPress in the first place? Was it like was it that you saw it as a quick way to solve a particular problem, or did someone else introduce you to it? I actually had a client come to me, and she was a poet and a photographer, and she wanted a blog where she could put up her so she would post every day a photo and a poem. And I did research and figured out that WordPress was probably the way to go. I customized Kubrick and <laughs> put that up for her. And it's actually still live now. Wow. That same site is still live. Like the first WordPress site I ever built. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's good that she's still going and it's good that the site is still up. Yeah. How do you describe thinking about what you do today with Purple Pen Productions? When someone meets you for the first time and they say, hey, Natalie, what do you do? How do you describe that in one sentence? What's your elevator pitch, so to speak? Uh, we build beautiful, effective and affordable websites for small businesses and nonprofits. Hey, you've rehearsed that because that's exactly <laughs> what it says on your website. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I, I was looking at this earlier on and what I really like about this is... You know, I've spoken a lot about this. And what I really like about this is that you don't mention WordPress. You don't mention the technology. You name your target audience and you mention the benefits that your target audience are going to get if they work with you. So we build beautiful. In other words, it's going to be, you know, we're going to represent your brand in an aesthetically pleasing way. Effective, which means it's going to actually mean something to your business. And affordable websites for small businesses and nonprofits. Is this... Obviously, you've strategically spent some, you know, time and effort thinking about this elevator pitch. Why didn't you just throw up there, you know, we build websites on WordPress for small business? Um, I didn't want to tie myself to a technology as much as I love WordPress. I know it's not going to be around forever. And I've built websites on lots of other things. Shock, shock, <laughs> horror. Did you just say that WordPress isn't going to be around forever, Natalie? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Neither is Facebook. Oh, no, don't say that. That's okay. As long as Twitter survives, I'm happy. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure Twitter will be the one exception. <laughs> and, and so what about the beautiful, effective, and affordable and, and naming your target market? Like, here's the big thing. People are so scared of naming their target audience because they're afraid of missing out on all of the other work, right? So did you, have, did you struggle with that at all? Or did you just think, no, 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 this is what we do best and I'm going to just stand by it? Yeah, I, there was definitely a period of time. Um, so Purple Pen is a little over five years old. And there was, at the beginning, we did try to be everything to everyone. And we tried to offer branding and business card design and flyers and catalogs. And it was just all over the place. And we weren't happy with most of the clients that we were working with. So um, I sat down actually... Um, about two years ago and really narrowed that down to figure out what were the projects that I most enjoyed doing and who were the clients that I thought I could bring the most value to. 
because we're really small. It's just me and two part-time people. So we can't do big, huge enterprise types of projects because mm. we just don't have the manpower. Mm. And um, just kind of figured out exactly who we most liked and then kind of went through and pruned the portfolio to only show those projects because we get more of whatever's in your portfolio. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. That's, you know, that there is worth the price of admission, kids. And given that it's a free podcast, that's not a bad deal. And uh, I must say that joke loses nothing with age because I think I use that every week. Um, so you pruned your, so you customized your portfolio to attract exactly who you wanted to attract. Yeah. So the portfolio is our favorite projects. Mm, nice. Tell me about the nonprofit thing because we, we have a lot we have quite a few members in WP Elevation who kind of play in the nonprofit space, but they always have we always have this conversation, oh nonprofits don't have any money. I know that's not true. Tell me, like were you scared of playing in the nonprofit space because you thought maybe they don't have enough budget? Um it, it definitely is budget is definitely a concern sometimes. Um, and I originally got into the nonprofit space by working with the Taproot Foundation and the Jericho Road Foundation, who both do um, pro bono projects for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. But through working with them and working really closely with them, I realized that a lot of times uh, nonprofits have more budget than small businesses do for websites. <laughs> and they'll get money um, earmarked for a certain thing. So they'll get a donation of you know ten thousand dollars, and the person who gave it to them will say this is for a website, and Correct. they can't use it for anything else. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, uh, it's a real myth about nonprofits, isn't it? That, it is. Uh, yeah, and, and they're wonderful to work with. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, sometimes, sometimes things can move a little slow in nonprofit land, and sometimes you know yeah. they're kind of their hierarchy and their, you know, committees and their meetings can be a little bit frustrating, but you're right. They're really nice to work with because they're heart-based businesses. So they're really genuine, authentic, loving people. Yes. Nobody's at a nonprofit working because they're going to get rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're there because they really care about what they're doing. And I think that that's a great fit for me because that's what I'm doing, what I do, because I really love what I'm doing. Yeah. And there's some, there, I mean, not to, you know, not to turn this into a nonprofit love-in, but there is some intrinsic value in actually working with Nonprofits and working with community-based or organisations that do good for the community. There's a lot of intrinsic value in working in that kind of area, isn't there? Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah, cool. Um, what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Are you still in Front Page Express tweaking CSS? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say probably about half my day goes to actually working on the work of building sites, so coding and designing and um, those kinds of things. And the other half of the day goes to answering emails, um, kind of talking to potential clients. And then we all, <laughs> I, I'm involved in a lot of projects. Um, so I organize a couple of meetup groups here in LA. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm involved with some organizations that do pro bono work. I have my book coming out. Um, and I'm the lead organizer for WordCamp LA, mm. which is coming up in a couple months. So I, that's where kind of the rest of my day goes is all yep. those assorted projects and then the administrative side of running the business. Busy, busy. Um, just, just on the organizing of WordCamps and those, those kind of extracurricular projects, do you find that it's doing those projects is, it means that you have a story to tell your clients or potential new clients because you're really well positioned in the community as a you know, community leader, for want of a better term, and that it's, 
you know, you've got something to talk about and it's a good positioning thing? Or do you just do it because you just want to give back to the community and you just love the community so much? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, cause I, I do really believe in giving back and obviously giving back in lots of ways. Um, I think that we often forget how lucky we are, um, mm. compared to a lot to most of the people in the world. Mm. Um, you know, most of us don't worry about having clean water and food to eat and a roof over our heads and it, most of the world does. Mm. And I think we forget that. And I think that giving back in many different ways is really important. Mm. So that's really important to me. Um, but then I found that also just kind of as a side benefit, and it was never my intention going into it, but that a lot of clients will approach me because they know me from running WordCamps and meetups or speaking at WordCamps, and they've seen me and they like what I have to say. Mm. Nice. And um, what's, the one thing that keeps you, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? Oh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> So many things keep me awake at night. I don't have kids, so it's not that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I think probably figuring out how to manage the kind of unpredictable income Mm. of kind of running a really small business. Um, So just kind of managing cash flow and learning that I can't spend it all because I need to save that <laughs> for next week when maybe I won't get any money coming in. So I, I, I've definitely gotten better at that, but I think that's probably the biggest stressor for a freelancer. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the kind of feast and famine cycle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you do when you're not working? How do you, how do you stay balanced and kind of, you know, chill out? Um, well, I attend a lot of meetups. <laughs> <laughs> We, we have a lot of meetup groups in Southern California, so that's one thing. I also do yoga and go swimming. Um, and I'm also a belly dancer, and I'm working to get certified to be a belly dance teacher. Cool. That I did not know. <laughs> I did not know that about you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Are we going to see some belly dancing at WordCamp LA? No, you probably will not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. If you get this, is kind of ties into the question about keeping you awake at night. But if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in your business, what would it be? Um, you know, I think that probably when another really big challenge that I have is the, just the pace of change on the web, and just to maybe either slow that down or speed me up so I could learn faster. Mm. Because it does really feel like you're running to stand still yeah. and keep up with Grunt and Gulp and Angular JS and all this stuff that's just constantly bombarding us and new mm. things that are available to learn. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, look, totally. I can't. I think I stopped coding when CSS preprocessors came out. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to pay other people to develop now. I just don't have the headspace to learn something new again. I know it's just endless. It it's is just endless. Yeah. Do you think it's helping us? Um, I, I worry that there's maybe a little bit too much focus on tools and less focus on actually developing um, skill. Um, so I think we need to be careful about that because it does seem like there's just more and more tools all the time. And I see a lot of new developers getting kind of trapped into learning frameworks and not learning to actually write CSS or JavaScript without that extra help Mm. and that worries me a little bit Mm. 
Do you have a particular uh, theme framework that you use to develop your themes? Um, I have one that I made myself based on underscores. Uh So underscores is really excellent as a starting point, but it does assume that you want to build a theme for distribution in the repository, Uh which is not usually what I'm doing. I'm usually building a custom theme for a client. So I took that and and I used SAS and Compass and kind of made my own little starter theme that's even way more pared down than underscores is, but kind of based on that as a starting point. Wow, so you're like right up there with all the cool kids using CSS preprocessors now, aren't you? I am. I love it. It saves so much time. Yeah. I still write my CSS in Firebug, I'll have you know. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, the Chrome version, I don't use Firefox anymore, but I inspect element, rewrite CSS. Um, yeah. That's why I'm not allowed to touch code anymore in our business. Um, okay, <laughs> let's talk about your book. So you wrote a book called jQuery for Designers. Design Uh interactive websites to engage user experience by using the popular JavaScript library, and it's a beginner's guide. When did the first edition come out? About two years ago, March of 2012. Published by Pact Publishing, open source. Uh How did that come about? How did that relationship come about with Pact Publishing? Um, I had actually filled out a form on their website to say that I would be interested in helping them with technical editing on on a book. And they brought me on to technical... uh, to be technical editor on um, WordPress 3 Complete by April Hodge Silver, mm-hmm. which came out a lot. Like, hopefully she's got a few new editions since then. It's, it's kind of old. But the author actually really liked um, my work and told and recommended to the publisher that they should hire me to write a book. And so they asked me if I'd be interested, and I said yes. And they said, okay, well, when we have a topic that we think you'll know about, we'll let you know. And maybe six months later, they said, hey, we want a beginner's guide for designers and other people who've never written code before for jQuery. Are you interested? (laughs) So I said yes and got to work right away. And um, it was way more work than I thought it would be. But it's really nice to have a book. Um, I think it really helps people under to really establish that you're an expert in your field and they can um, know that they can trust you. Yeah. What, what is that? Why did you choose to go down? Why did you choose not to self publish? Do, do you think there was an advantage of having a publisher on board? Or do you think that if people are, because, you know, I totally agree writing a book, I think is probably the ultimate, I think writing a book and having a podcast are like the ultimate positioning tools if you like to position you as the expert and a lot of people want to write books but you know they can't get publishers because there's only so much like supply and demand so a lot of people are going down the self-publishing route do you think do you think there are definite benefits of having a publisher on board um i if i had it to do over again i think i would probably go ahead and self-publish the book um just because with so many books being published these days the publishers just don't have the resources to put a lot of PR behind the book mm. and i think that that used to be different i think that they used to always have a PR budget for the books but um and i've been i've had a really good experience working with my publisher especially with a second edition but they're, the PR that they do for the book is very limited. Right. Um, and I end up doing most of it myself anyway. <laughs> so it's still up to you to market the book and promote the book and generate sales. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so apart from editing and actually like producing the physical product, what does a publisher do? Um, they did provide me with two technical editors and then a regular editor to check my grammar. Um, so they did do that, which I would have had to hire 
those people otherwise. Um, they did give me an advance, which I obviously wouldn't have gotten if I had written it myself, though it was, it's not like it was going to pay my rent even for one month. Sure. But, <laughs> um, and I, you know, they take care of getting in in Amazon and Barnes and Noble and bookstores and things like that, which otherwise I'd be doing myself. So it was, it was definitely helpful, but yeah, I, I would definitely try the self-publishing route, I think next time. Mm. It's interesting. I used to play in bands back in the '90s, and we had a little distribution. What it was, what, it was what was called a distribution deal with a small record label here in Melbourne, and it was a similar thing. Um, we went and actually manufactured all the CDs, took the boxes down to their office. They then got the CDs into some local record stores and did some distribution. But we then had to go out and promote it and market it because the CDs were sitting in record stores, but no one knew they were there. So we still, yeah. there was no budget for marketing. We had to go and do gigs and promote it and print our own posters and do all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like a similar kind of arrangement. Yeah, it does. And I think, I feel like the first edition was obviously successful enough that they came back to me to ask me to do a second edition. Mm. But I felt like the audience for the book was so much bigger than the number of books that we actually sold. So I actually um, uh, bartered with a PR agency to get some ideas for how I could promote the second edition. So I have a big project ahead of me. Um, with I'll be doing a weekly screencast to teach people how to do little things with um, jQuery for a year to kind of help get the word out about the book. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And so tell me, what else you, so where are these video, where are these little screencasts going to live? Uh, jQueryfordesignersbook.com. Okay. And so, so I'm interested in this deal. So, so, so the PR company are going to help you with PR for the book and you're going to produce these screencasts. So that's basically content marketing. You're producing the content and they're helping you market that content and do some PR, yeah? Yep. jQuery for designers book. Yep. There Dot is a little placeholder site up there now, but dot com. within okay. <clears throat> the next couple of weeks, it'll be replaced with my new site Cool. and some videos. <laughs> awesome. Um, I like this. I like this. I'm uh, looking at Julia Cameron's website at the moment, which we're going to talk about her a little bit more in a moment. Julia is the author of The Artist's Way, uh, which we'll talk about a little more in a moment. But her website is, you know, there's a book, uh, there's a video course that you can take. Um, I, I see this model happening a lot where authors are leveraging their content into different types of modalities, if you like. So, hey, you can buy the book for $25, but then, you know, for you know, extra, whether it's a monthly subscription or an annual membership, you get access to all of these videos and maybe we'll run a coaching call once a month and you get on, you get to talk to the author. Has that kind of occurred to you that maybe you'll roll out some kind of back-end product on the back end of the book if there's enough demand? Yeah, I would absolutely consider that. And on the back of the first book, I did teach some jQuery workshops locally here in Los Angeles. And I would definitely consider kind of doing that too. Although that's obviously a little harder to do the in-person workshops, but um, it, it's definitely helpful because you get to people who otherwise wouldn't have heard of it, but who are absolutely in the target market and want the book. Yeah. So it was it was a real, it was, I had to be really careful coming up with a list of topics that I'll be covering on the website to make sure that there wasn't a lot of overlap with the book. Ah. <laughs> because otherwise, why would you buy it? Yeah. 
How, how, what's one of the biggest challenges writing a technical book? I've got a few technical books behind me on the bookshelf. You can probably see lots of yeah. lots of for dummies books and lots of um, you know CSS and jQuery and PHP and HTML books from when I first started out. I know, and like one of the things you have to be so accurate. I remember I remember specifically walking through a PHP cookbook once, which I think was published by O'Reilly, and I was away uh, on an Easter holiday, and I was working through this. Um, recipe in this cookbook and it just wasn't working and I actually worked out that there was a typo in the book I'm like come on you're teaching me how to write code if you get one semicolon wrong the whole thing falls apart so yeah and screenshots and making sure that your 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 descriptions your explanations match the screenshot perfectly how do you make sure that it goes how do you make sure it gets published and goes out the door and every t is crossed and every i is dotted uh, it's really tough and I don't think it ever actually happens. So there's the errata section on the publisher's website. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but so I write the first draft, I go back through everything for the second draft and then go back through pre-finals, which is what I'm doing now where I'm stepping through, like I'm a reader of the book and typing out the code as it's in the book to make sure it works. And I have found a couple of places where I was missing a semicolon or missing a whole step in the in the code. So it's just really tedious. But then the other thing, so you have all this tedious kind of work to do to make sure that the book goes out and is accurate. But at the same time, you have to be really fast because I'm talking about all different kinds of jQuery plugins and jQuery itself, which new versions are being released all the time. And if you're really slow about it, it's going to be completely obsolete by the time they can print it. Yeah. So this is, um, I'm looking at the uh, Arata page for your book, actually, on the Packed Pub website, and there are yep. seven submissions, uh, which is pretty good, I think. That's not too bad. Like only seven, yeah. you know. Um, uh, this is one of the things I find about technical books. Like, how do you how do you keep up with the trends? Like, you just get halfway through a book and go, "Well, that whole chapter doesn't exist anymore. We just need to rewrite that because it's moved on." Yeah. It, it's really tough. It's really tough, and that's why the second edition really needed to come out. The first edition just really quickly degraded like the kind of up to date um it just really kind of fell apart really fast because jquery changed so much jquery is now in two branches and the plugins changed so much some of the plugins i covered in the first edition were completely abandoned and Mm. replaced by new plugins so wow well i guess the good thing is as an author you've always got you know, a new edition coming out, you've, you're always going to make recurring sales because after a couple of years, that edition's, you know, no longer relevant. We need to write a new edition. Yeah. And now I'll have the website where if um, like a plugin gets completely rewritten or something like that, I'll be able to update the chapter on my own and maybe sell that, um, you know, for a few dollars. Like here, chapter 11 is out of date now and buy the new chapter 11. Awesome. Okay. Let's talk about... Um, uh, you know, the fact that you've published a book, you're about to publish the second edition. I want to talk about the kind of mindset and the mentality to ship something and get it out the door. <clears throat> and I'm talking specifically about, uh, you have a blog called Geek Girl Life. And mm-hmm. your latest blog is about how you spoke with Jennifer Bourne on the WP Unicorn project. And that the, the title of the blog is How I Beat Writer's Block. And you mentioned here uh, this technique that you learned in a writing class in college, that you get three pieces of paper, a pen and a timer. You set the timer for 15 minutes and then you just scribble. You write stream of consciousness and you have to fill the three pages in 15 minutes. 
And you say here, you might be thinking, but if I have writer's block, what am I going to write? Well, if nothing comes to mind, then you just start writing, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write. <laughs> yep, this, seems like a, this seems like a really uncomfortable, really awkward, really stupid exercise to do. But hey, it must work because you've actually shipped, you've published a book, you've got something out the door. So talk us through this exercise and why it works and why it's so important just to keep doing it. I think that a lot of times we have writer's block because we're too busy trying to think of too many things. And my, the same writing teacher in college, she was amazing. Um, she, t she said that when people say, oh, I think writing is so hard, she said that writing was just thinking. And if you were having trouble thinking, you'd have trouble writing. And so the free writing is just one way that you can kind of clear all of that stuff you're trying to think about out of your head, get it on this piece of paper, and then about halfway through, I usually find something just kind of clicks in your head and you become really focused on something and you start really thinking about it in a different way and putting together really cohesive thoughts about it and it never fails. It, it's always worked for me. So mm. it's a really great technique. I, I learned this technique by reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, um, which we're going to give away a copy of that a little bit later on. Um, and she calls it the morning pages. So every morning yeah. when you wake up, you do this exercise. I think she suggests to do it for 45 minutes. You just, or m maybe it's half yeah. an hour. Right. But you just write and you just, you can't stop writing. Oh, no, actually, I think it's the three full scat pages. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. You just have to fill three full scat pages. And yes. you're just not allowed to stop. So you put, you put pen to paper. And it's really challenging. It's really confronting. You put pen to paper and you feel like you have to write something brilliant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or you get like this really beautiful journal and then you never write in it because you think, well, that's not a good enough idea to put in this beautiful book. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the idea is that nobody is ever going to read what you put to paper here. Right. You, in fact, she says that even you, like you don't even ever have to go back and reread this stuff. The, the point is just to fill the pages with words and it's a way of getting all that stuff out of your head first thing in the day so that your head is then clear to go on with the rest of the day. And and she actually finds that, like like what you just said, halfway through this exercise, these moments of kind of clarity and genius come up and she's like, wow, I'm in the zone and I'm writing. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So for everyone out there who is, you know, who who knows the importance of blogging, who wants to blog but is really struggling and not sure what to write about, maybe this is a great exercise First thing in the morning, just get three pages of rubbish out of your head, you know, done and dusted, put it away, never read it again, and then you can get on with actually, you know, writing something meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. I've always, yeah, I always get some kind of good idea, even if I have, like, so it'll work if I have no idea what I want to write about, I'll come up with at least one idea, or if I have, like, a vague idea, like, oh, I want to write something about, you know, WordPress and dogs, just by kind of doing that free writing exercise and writing all these ridiculous things out, you can kind of pare it down and you actually can come away with something really useful and interesting and engaging. Love it. Um, let's talk about the girl thing. So geekgirllife.com, and by the way, I haven't warned Natalie about this, so this is completely, you know, I'm throwing her in the deep end here. But geekgirllife.com <laughs> is, is your blog. Uh, Purple mm -hmm. Pen Productions is you and... Two other girls, yeah, Bernice and uh -huh. Brittany. Uh, yep. You love the alliteration, don't you? Bernice <laughs> B. Lee, Brittany Brooks. 
so is this a conscious thing to surround yourself with females and to be kind of and to exist in this kind of geek girl culture? Um, it, it wasn't conscious. Like my employees just happen to be two females right now. I have had male employees in the past. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of support that kind of needs to happen because there aren't very many women in tech. And at most of the jobs I've had, I've been the only woman in the company who wasn't like a secretary or a receptionist or a customer service person. So I've been the only woman there who was writing code. So I think that there is like a, um, I think it's really important to have a support network there and to kind of connect with each other because we don't see each other at work very often. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of issues I think that you have to deal with as being such a teeny minority in the in the industry. Mm. Um, there's definitely some unique challenges, but it's just really helpful to just um, kind of have that support network and be able to vent and get ideas and talk to each other and to realize that you know you're not as alone as you think you are. Um, there's definitely other women out there. Yeah. Why do you think the tech industry attracts so many men and so few women? What 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 is that? I wish I knew. I wish I knew what it was because I love what I do. I I just love solving the puzzles and writing the code. And I'm not exactly sure what it is that um, that scares so many women away, I think. Um, uh, they've done some really interesting studies where they find that when they talk children up until age 13 boys and girls express the same amount of interest in science and math and computers and after age 13 girls drop off dramatically wow. and boys stay about the same um and it's kind of figuring out like what is that what happens when you're 13 mm. that changes your mind puberty <laughs> 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 so like no seriously like is it a is it a hunter gatherer thing is it like because is it, is it like that men instinctually have this kind of need to, you know, solve problem and, and, you know, fix things and women instinctually have this thing, this, this need to nurture and protect and love and care? Is that, do you think that kind of plays into it all or am I just generalizing way too much? It's possible that that's part of it. Um, I think it's also possible that it's part of it on what we tell girls at that age is expected of them uh, yeah. and the kind of peer pressure that they get from other kids. Cause, um, it, I, I was super smart in high school and just loved science and math classes. And I got pick, picked on a lot for that. Like I got made yeah. fun of a lot for that. And I, yeah. and I could see where, you know, d- deter some people from get, kind of getting involved and staying involved in that area. Yeah. I remember the I remember the kind of in hindsight now looking at the geeky girls in in our <laughs> high school who weren't you know like there were the sporty girls and there were the kind of drama girls and then there were the geeky girls and yeah the geeky girls did get and the geeky guys also got picked on a little bit for kind of being nerdy yeah. and not being sporty and not being arty and creative um yeah, so it's interesting that I, it's funny because a lot of the geeky girls were my, my friends. I was kind of intimidated by the sporty girls and the <laughs> actor girls and the drama queens. I was like hanging out with the geeky <laughs> girls all the time. Um, interesting. So, do you think that? So, what would you say to any girls kind of in the WordPress space who feel like they're a little bit ah, oh, there's too much testosterone around and there's you know not enough girls? What like how do you what what advice would you give any newcomers? 
You know, what's funny is that, and I'm not sure exactly what it is, but the WordPress community is the most gender balanced, I think, of any of the tech communities. Um, mm. Like WordCamps are almost half women. Mm. Um, and that's really unusual because I've definitely gone to other tech conferences, especially dev heavy ones, where there will be two or three women there mm. out of a few hundred attendees. Yeah. Um, and that, so can, be, that, that actually, can be really intimidating in itself, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, you're sitting in 300 people and there's three women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's a, it can be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but, uh, WordPress seems to be, for some reason, really welcoming to women. And so I think that in the WordPress community, there's probably a lot less women who feel really isolated or feel like they're the only woman around because mm. uh, there definitely are a lot more women involved in the community. Cool. All right, let's do our... Uh, elevation lightning round for those that don't know WPL I mean who doesn't know this by now WP elevation <laughs> is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants so uh, if you want to learn how to run your WordPress business effectively check out WPElevation.com. in this lightning round I'm gonna ask um, Natalie a series of quick questions and she's gonna give us a series of quick mind-blowing game-changing answers off the top of your head how's that sound yeah no pressure <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Uh, their own worth and their own value. Nice. I like it. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Um, ask for referrals from existing customers. Mm. A nice one. That's going to loop into a question in a minute. Uh, how do you stop competing on price? Um, I think really focus on the problems that you're solving and... Um, the value that you bring to the table uh, instead of just being really focused around the price. Yeah. Awesome. Any tips on writing better proposals? Um, don't forget to say what is not included as well as what's included. Mm, good one. <laughs> Favorite tool or system for customer relationship management? Um, really, the only thing I... <laughs> I use a, a system called Cashboard to kind of handle all of my invoicing and to track my projects. Mm -hmm. And then for tracking um, the times where I send off an email to a client and don't hear back, I use a tool called Boomerang for Gmail. Oh, how good is it? Oh, I love it. So do yeah, I. Yeah, you just say, hey, put this back in my inbox in one day or two days or a week or whatever if no one answers it. Yep. And it's just fabulous. I love Boomerang because if I'm working at night sometimes – and I don't want my clients to know that I'm working yes. at night. I just schedule all the emails to go out at 8.30 the next morning. Yep, and, and they exactly. think I'm in the office really early working away when really I'm at the gym yeah. and I did all my emails the night before. Exactly. Love Boomerang for Gmail. Uh, I think you've answered this question, but what's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Um, weekly meetings. Yes. 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 Weekly meetings. Any, any ideas for getting referrals from your existing customers? Yeah, just ask for them. Yeah. If, you're, if your customers are happy, they will gladly send other people to you. Yep. And what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Um, pick a target market and focus on it. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't brief Natalie on this before either way. So, you know, awesome. I'm very happy with those answers. It's great. Um, all right. What's the future for Purple Pen Productions? Where do you see the business in 12 months' time? 
Um, that's a really tough question because we have a lot of potential changes coming up. Um, nothing that I could probably talk about just yet, but think good things I think are on the horizon. Wow, cool. <laughs> yeah. I almost got a scoop then. <laughs> almost. <laughs> you got a hint. <laughs> Uh, and where do you see WordPress in 12 months' time? What do you think WordPress is going to be used for in, you know, the ne- over the next couple of years? Um, so I've been, since I host the WP Unicorn Project, um, we have a little segment on that show called What's Up in Core, and I've <laughs> been hosting that. So I've been really closely <clears throat> tracking core development over the past few months, so that's been really interesting to kind of have that insight into what's going on behind the scenes. I think the stuff with internationalization that's going on right now is going to be really helpful in kind of getting um, more people using WordPress around the world because uh, it'll make it so much easier for them to, you know, install it in Japanese or, you know, German or whatever it happens to be. Um, so that's really exciting. So I think we might pick up more international users because I do feel like most WordPress users are in the United States right now. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Um, and uh, where can people reach out to say thank you for this interview, Natalie? Um, I am Natalie Mack on Twitter. And uh, you can email me at natalie at nataliemack.com. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you very much. Oh, actually, competition. We need to announce our competition details, yeah. which we kind of didn't work this out. But I, I'm kind of thinking this, right? <clears throat> so we're going to give away a copy of jQuery for Designers. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm going to give away a copy of The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. And I think the way that we should run this competition is if you leave us and you tell me if you want to do something else. But here's my idea. Uh, we're just going to make this up on the spot. Leave a okay. comment under the video and tell us the number one thing you have done to overcome your fear of writing or fear of publishing something. Yeah? How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Awesome. And I'll get Natalie to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize from the comments underneath the video. So leave a comment under the video and you could win either The Artist Way by Julia Cameron or you could win the second edition of jQuery for Designers by Natalie Matlees. Not Matlees, Maclees. Natalie Maclees. Thank you. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best for the future of Purple Pen Productions. And finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why? Um, you know, I think that the um, WordPress community can sometimes be a little too isolated from the rest of the web development community. So I think it might be a good idea to maybe try to step outside that because mm. um, there's some really fabulous talent that's not necessarily really active in the WordPress community. So um, I would love to see you talk to Paul Boag of Headscape, mm, and we're okay. based in the UK, or um, Andy Clark of Stuff and Nonsense. <laughs> he is my hero. I love yeah. Malaki. He is my absolute <laughs> hero. Oh, you have just prompted yeah. me. Okay. So Paul Boag from Head... Headscape. Headscape? And they're headscape.co.uk. Okay. And Andy Clark, Andy Clark, stuff and Malaki. Yeah. I'm coming to get you courtesy of Natalie Matlees. Keep your eyes on your inbox, Andy Clark and Paul Boag. I'm going to get you on the podcast. Thank you for motivating me to get Andy Clark on the podcast because he's yeah. one of my absolute web design heroes. Awesome. Hey, I've had a blast. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and uh, I wish you all the best for the future and keep in touch. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Natalie. Hey, I hope you enjoyed meeting Natalie MacLeese as much as I did. Uh, of course, this episode is brought to you by Video User Manuals. You can learn more about Video User Manuals at wpelevation.com slash VUM. It is, of course, the original, the best and the first and the only way to teach your clients how to use WordPress 
It puts over 60 video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress, how to use WooCommerce, and how to use SEO by Yoast. Uh, it also comes with a, a 100 page PDF manual that you can give your clients and an online written version of the manual, uh, an HTML, like a help file that looks very similar to the way WordPress is laid out. So it's very easy for them to follow along and learn how to use WordPress so that you don't have to answer those annoying questions anymore like, how do I upload an image to my website? Video user manuals takes care of it for you. Of course, subscribe to the podcast at wpelevation.com slash subscribe. And when you do subscribe to the podcast, you'll get instant access to a free content creation webinar. So you can learn how to create more content and you can teach your clients how to create more content. All the show notes for this particular episode will be at wpelevation.com slash Natalie Maclees. And that is N-A-T-A-L-I-E. M-A-C-L-E-E-S, all one word, all lowercase, no spaces, no hyphens, no underscores. You know the drill by now. Remember to leave your comment underneath this video and tell us the number one thing you have done to overcome writer's block and help you publish more content. And you could win either a copy of The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, or you could win a copy of jQuery for Designers, Natalie's uh, book, the second edition of which is coming out in a couple of weeks. And I will get Natalie to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. All right. I have no idea who is on the podcast next week, so I can't tell you. Uh, but what I do know is this is episode number 42. We're having a great time. Please go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Give us some feedback on the podcast. Tell us who you would like interviewed next. Remember, Paul Boag from Headscape and Andy Clark from Stuff and Nonsense. I'm coming to get you courtesy of Natalie. I hope you're having as much fun as I am. Until next time, go Elevate.